Today, we're joined by Mark Williams Cook, the founder of Also Asked and also the director of the Candor Digital Agency in the UK. Now, we're going to go into People Also Ask Data and SEO Content Marketing. Won't you please join us? Welcome to the EMJ SEO Podcast, where we break down what is working in SEO today, and we uncover opportunities to increase your bottom line through SEO strategies. Hey, it's Matt Hepburn. I'm an SEO professional with 14 years of experience working as a consultant in both agencies, large and small, and for the past nine years in the enterprise sector for some of the biggest brands out there. I provide SEO tips for beginners so you can start to rank in Google in the next three to six months. Hey there, Mark, welcome to the show. Hey Matt, thank you for having me, excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you here, man. I, I love your software. And I was hoping you might be able to tell the audience a little bit about uh, who you are, your journey, and uh, your company. That'd be great. Yeah, of course. So I've been working primarily in SEO now for, I'd say, the best part of 20 years. Um, God bless you. <laughs> and that started out, I think, like many people in SEO, kind of by accident. Mm -hmm. I was building websites from quite a young age and I, I started off actually as an affiliate marketer, making money from Google AdSense and then kind of got into the agency world. So I've, I've actually, um, at the moment, I'm director of an agency called Canda based in the UK. It's got 26 people and I've been there for the last eight years and I've been agency side now for 17 of the last 20 years, but I'm also the founder of a SaaS tool called Also Asked, which is all about helping people understand search intent and what people are interested in and Google's kind of perspective on that. So that's um, kind of 80% of my time is between those two things at the moment. Yeah, that's that's a lot, uh, balancing that back and forth. So you got me beat, uh, 20 years, I, I got 14, but uh, <laughs> 20 years, that's, that's really, uh, that's in the 90s, right? So that was... Yeah what 97 98 uh, no 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 so no we're 2023 actually so it's about 2002 2003 okay. i started okay yeah, so we're just just on 20 years um so it was kind of it was google era but tail end of like alta vista was still yeah. on the block wow, wow. Yeah. so i'm gonna just jump into the questions because i have a lot here and i know um the audience wants to have more perspective on this wonderful SaaS tool that you have called also asked uh, so most of the questions are going to be really based around that. And uh, I've been using this tool for a few months now and uh, been using it with clients. It's been really, really helpful. Um, I was hoping you could talk about how um, also ask questions can help in an SEO strategy and, um, you know, how they should uh, implement that. Yeah, no worries. So, um People also ask questions for for those just to clear up any um, if you're not sure if you haven't seen them before you definitely you've definitely seen them before if you use if you use Google so they appear on just over fifty percent of all searches if you take a large sample and these are usually four questions that you see normally within the first three results that are based around your search terms so it, it's Google saying from our data here are kind of the next most likely questions people are going to ask. And actually what happens is if you click on those questions, they kind of concertina out and you get another set of questions which are related to the one that you have clicked on. Now, 
I originally did in 2019 a presentation to some SEOs about how we were using this data. Uh, we were just mining it ourselves kind of locally um, for SEO campaigns. And I kind of assumed everyone was using this data. And from the conference talks I've done, I've never had so many people come up to me afterwards and be like, oh, where's that tool? How do I get this tool? And I shared the at the at the time it was actually uh, a Python script that another chap called Alessio had actually written that I was using to do this, and I kind of helped a few people get set up, and it became apparent that that was still quite a barrier to entry. It just being like a command line Python thing, and you know, right. a lot of people maybe that could get value and uh, find a good use for that data couldn't do that, which is why we ended up building also asked because essentially it's a it's a web very easy front end for this data why it's so important i'll try and summarize it because there's a lot of reasons i think but to me why people also ask data is so important is firstly it's i think one of the most regularly updated sources of keyword and intent data you can get so i've i've posted multiple times about how if something happens in the news or like in the uk when we had a our, our prime minister changing the questions in the also asked box in Google were changing by the hour, wow. which I found amazing. So this was like bleeding edge intent if you want to, you know, and we all know if you're kind of first to the post to publish things gives you a huge advantage um, in terms, you know, because the competition hasn't done it. So that's one reason, which is just the, the freshness of the data you get from there really reflects like zeitgeist, what people are talking about. The other thing is and this is kind of breaks into a whole bigger topic, is it's Google that has kind of clustered those questions. And if you read anything that Google says about what they are trying to achieve in terms of indexing and making content easy to find, they talk about concept, concepts like time to result quite a lot, which is one of the ways they measure their performance, which is when someone does a query, we want the minimum time to result, i.e. being the satisfaction of their intent. So if Google is giving this information, saying when people search for this brand, this product, this query, this question, here are the next most likely things they're going to ask. To me, it makes very logical sense. There's not many leaps to, I should probably consider including that in my content. So they're the key kind of reasons to me why this data is, is so valuable and why we use it. You know, Even outside of SEO, there are people using this data for all kinds of things. I'm going to just uh, hop right into that because my next question, uh, I, I saw on your site that you actually said, uh, you know, people can use this for paid media or uh, SEM. So, um, or people might also known as PPC. Um, could you actually talk about that? That'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. So PPC is something, again, I've got quite a lot of experience in. And when we're running PPC campaigns, obviously we're, we're setting up our conversions and, you know, the main, the main thing everyone it comes down to is what was the cost of our sale or our conversion or our, or our lead. Okay. Mm -hmm. And with other types of keyword data and especially a lot of the, like, especially now the PMAX stuff Google does in terms of um, automation, it's easy just to get sucked into, well, these are the transactional keywords, so I land them on my page and then hope people do what we want them to do. The value that I've seen people um, extract from people also asked data from also asked with PPC is 
building a better picture about the objections and therefore counter objections they need to include on those pages. Um, and it comes down to, I've seen people use it for even uh, people in brand teams have used also asked. So they put their brand in and then they suddenly realize people are asking questions like, is brand legit or why is it so cheap? And they're the kind of questions that people ask search engines that you will struggle to get them to tell you kind of in a face-to-face -face way. You know, we right. all type things into search engines that maybe we wouldn't be comfortable asking people. So it, it's a real like laid bare source of truth. So if you are trying to sell a product, if you are a brand and you're trying to sell that product or service or whatever it is, it's telling you what people's kind of in some in some cases hidden questions are but they're important questions so i've seen ppc uh, me, people and i've spoken to them saying this was really helpful in terms of we realized you know even from our customer data we should have been answering these questions because people mm -hmm. had concerns about say how ethical our uh, pipeline was for where we got our products or our materials so now we've answered that so that's been really key so again this is outside of seo it's just understanding the intent behind i want to buy this product but as a consumer i have these concerns as well so i think you're talking about two or three extra things that i was going to ask you much later in the questions but you're <laughs> tied into it now so i'm going to just hop into it which is we're really talking about um when people are searching for things they have pain points or or problems that they're trying to solve, right? And modern day searchers are typing in questions. They're not typing in one or two um, words. So they're asking for help on to one thing. Um, and so that's part of what we would call the buyer's journey, right? So um, it sounds like uh, also ask, we'll also, and the people also ask questions will help us if in different stages of the buyer's journey, because you actually were just talking. So for the audience, so the buyer's journey, we have the early stage awareness. We have, um, they're getting ready to consider uh, a brand to, to purchase it. Uh, then there's the purchase stage. And then there is a stage where they come back and they go, well, why did I buy this, right? Uh, and then there's an, also another stage that uh, one of my other guests had actually talked about, which are, or, which is not really talked about, which are where people push things virally and they suggest it to other users. So it sounds like also ask can fill in some of the gaps for some of these stages. Could you talk a little bit about that? Whether it's SEO or PPC, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> one thing that I've noticed when people do keyword research, and I think this is something marketers in general fall into the trap of doing is oversimplifying just how complex humans are when you yeah. you know when you think about um even something like classifying intent you know i see a lot of people talk about classifying intent and they're like yes yeah, navigational it's informational or it's transactional hands washed jobs done that's all there is yeah and then when we consider all the touch points people have how they use different devices differently um, and how you know Google's told us that the average and I don't know how they define average but average query is satisfied over nine searches so people conduct nine different searches in Google to get the information piece it together to form their kind of final okay I yep. got where I wanted to and the people also ask data 
has functions not only that overlap with this funnel we've spoken about, but they serve a function for Google to help assist the user as well. So if we talk about that very first stage of awareness, um, and typically, for instance, something that startups deal with a lot where they have a um, a new solution either to an existing problem or they are fixing a problem people didn't even know they had. So to give you an example, I was talking to a company several years ago that was dealing with specialist insurance if you are an Airbnb host, okay? Because most people didn't realize that their normal house insurance did not cover them to be an Airbnb host. And that's an interesting proposition because you are addressing a problem that people don't know that they have. It's like, yeah, mm -hmm. I've been running my house out to Airbnb. Okay, did you know you're not covered for that? It's like, oh no. So the people also ask, can function there in this discovery awareness phase where you are searching for just something to do with, you know, being an Airbnb host. And one of the questions can prompt you about specialist insurance for Airbnb hosts which can then make you think, huh, I didn't consider that. So it's helped you in the awareness stage. In the consideration stage, you might discover a brand that does that. Again, you search for that brand. People also ask commonly has, is this brand or this brand better, for instance? So again, right. it adds to your consideration phase. So at every stage during that funnel, because it's appearing on 50% of searches, we found people also ask, has a it's always like an informational assistant, if you like. Mm -hmm. It's like you're going through this funnel, but you've got someone next to you going, don't forget to ask this, which can be really helpful because sometimes knowing the correct questions to ask is half the battle when you're, you know, when you're getting through this funnel. So um, yeah, that it's and even yet, yeah, even right down to advocacy. So having people talk about you, um, you can see positive and negative sentiment to brands and products in those questions as well. Like I said, I've seen companies where you've Googled it and the people also ask the question is asking if their brand is a scam. Yeah. And it's like, how damaging is that? Because it immediately raises fla like red flags as a consumer, right? Like, sure. hmm, why are so many people searching for this? Um, so whether you're doing SEO and thinking about how you're converting traffic into, uh, into revenue, if, if you're in a brand team and you're thinking we need to look after our brand, these are all, these are all things you need to consider in terms of the people who are stated because it, it's there, you know, 50% of searches it's above the fold in people's face. No, this is, this is, uh, this is really awesome. So I'm going to, so we talked about Google, right? Um, I'm going to actually flip to YouTube because uh, I want to see, uh, I want to get your opinion on how people can use this information to create, and, and the reason why I'm doing this, I'm gonna just back up one second, is that Google has said that with, uh, uh, basically with their new uh, AI results, that uh, shorts are gonna be a huge part of uh, the results, and I've already seen that. Um, so my question is, how can we use also ask questions as shorts to help our brands and maybe embed those back on the pages that uh, answer those questions as well? I agree that Google is scared of TikTok. <laughs> yeah, um, it was really interesting. So I was um, I was on a flight last week to uh, Bulgaria to an SEO conference, and I sat next to uh, a, lady, a Bulgarian lady, and she was um, 
was chatting to her and I asked her, you know, what should I, what can I do in Sofia? And um, this lady was about 20 years old and she said to me like, oh, you should go on TikTok and search for some things to do. And I immediately felt like three times as old as I was because <laughs> my instinct is obviously I should just Google what to do. And, you know, I've seen this more and more with, you know, it's been covered before this Gen Z stuff about using TikTok as a search engine um, because of, you know, all kinds of reasons about, again, things Google have talked about in terms of experience and um, kind of real world knowledge. There's a format question there as well. So always part of the SEO content mix has been when people say content, it's, you know, not correct to just in your head think that means text, you know, That's content right. is video, is podcasts, is webinars, is streams, all of these things. And there's sometimes a format is better than another one. So an example I always use that I've used myself is how to like change a car battery. Almost all the first results are videos, right? Because I don't want to be messing around with my car, like trying to read instructions. I want to see how to yeah. do it. And this using also ask data for video, actually, if I put my hands up, hadn't occurred to me until I had customers come to me telling me that's what they were doing. So we went, we had a viral TikTok video that had like over a million views of a, quite a famous TikToker saying, hey, look, I use also ask because I find out what people are asking about my topic and then I just make videos about them. So that clicked with me then. Oh, yeah, this is like a whole new. And again, why it's great to have this non-technical interface for these content creators just to give them a rough map of what people are asking. That's right. That's right. Um, and yeah, I think my general kind of SEO advice has always been about aligning yourself with Google strategy and what makes Google money and not getting in their way of making money because mm -hmm. that's how you get penalties and you know algorithm uh yep. whacked by algorithms so yeah it, it seems to me like outside of the AI you know the generative AI stuff video especially shorts is going to be an obvious play for Google because they're seeing TikTok I think take some of their lunch in terms of that and they've got the you know biggest video search engine certainly in the uk and in a lot of western countries with youtube and the kernel of what you're producing content wise is the same it's this is what people want to know about and yes of course a lot of those people probably an in interesting age demographics but would prefer to consume that in short form video um so again this is why um we spoke about just before the show things like the the image PNG export is really helpful because it's an easy way to communicate to completely non-technical content creators. Oh, okay, you're going to do a video about this. Here's maybe some of the questions you should answer. And that's all they need because they're experienced and they're an expert in that thing anyway. So I'm going to hop right on top of that. So for the audience, what the PNG part does along with the CSV export is it gives a hierarchical map of the uh, topics and the questions and how they're related, kind of like a mind map. So since we're talking at YouTube still, um, I wanted to get your idea of taking that hierarchical map of different shorts that we're putting together with the questions, maybe putting them together in playlists and how we maybe internally link them with the description in the video and link them to each other so that it's all cohesive as a topic. What you, um, have you, has anybody done something like that? Or um, do you think that would give us better intent, I guess, on the questions by 
grouping them together that way. Yeah. So I'll be, um, you know, again, always very candid. YouTube shorts isn't my, I'd say my specialty is. Yep. But again, the same as when I talk to people about SEO, I don't think you need to always understand like how the algorithm works. You just need to understand what Google is trying to achieve. So my answer to that in terms of the YouTube shorts would kind of be the same that I give people. So a really common question I get when people look at those hierarchical maps is, mm. oh, um, should I include every single one of these questions in a piece of content or should I break them up into all separate pieces? And my answer to that is, well, what do you think would be most helpful to the user if they're asking that question? So take my car battery example, right? My question about which cable should I disconnect first is probably an important thing to absolutely include in that same um, yeah. like section. Whereas maybe a more tangibly related one, like you know, which voltage battery should I use, could be like a a separate thing. I wouldn't expect it yeah. there. So I would go then with the i'd say perhaps the shorts are slightly different to the content in terms of they are even more short form and it is what it says on the tin um but it makes them perfect sense yeah trying to connect them up because again that's how the user is going to interact with them and you see that even on platforms like TikTok, where it's very short punchy videos and then you end up just scrolling through those little clusters of those right. things around um you know topic whatever it is so i think I think longer term as a industry, there'll probably be better answers to those things because I think all of this is still in its infancy. Um, you know, and I've heard people talking about YouTube shorts, about TikTok quite a lot. And there doesn't seem to be a consensus on this is exactly how you do it. But this is why I'm saying the the strategy for me should always be answering the question, is this the easiest, most helpful thing to the user? Are we minimizing their time to result? Are we are, are answering their questions? Are we getting engagement? Um, because that's what Google's trying to measure at the end of the day. Yep, it, sound, uh, it sounds right on, man. So uh, I'm gonna actually flip over to algorithms and frameworks. So I uh, wanted to actually ask you to just to, so you could tell the audience, how do people also ask questions help with Google's EEAT framework for experience, uh, expertise, authority, and trustworthiness of content, as well as their helpful content algorithm update, right? So well, that's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's really the same thing, right? It's two different algorithms, right? But um so we're giving expertise and experience through our content as we're actually writing it or if we are you know in a video uh sure. actually coming straight from us right so it's either the expert who's writing it who's authoring it or the person who's being filmed in the video um and it's really about google's really put this huge emphasis and on helpful content uh, their helpful content update. And uh, so it came out about a year and a half ago and they just about two months ago had another update. And uh, the data I've seen from different platforms uh, has been that people who have put related queries and people also ask questions within their content. So about a 20% increase. So, yeah, it's been a really interesting, I think several months with Google updates. So yeah, I've got some views on this. So Google's EAT 
framework um as you said is is like a framework it's not a set of specific metrics google's come up with some interesting things where they said you know in some uh verticals experience is more important than expertise for instance mm -hmm. um and i think it's interesting as well when we talk about eat still in my opinion a big way google measures things like authority and trust is their link graph still yeah. um, and all these pieces of the puzzle need to 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 be there and i think help the helpful content updates kind of slot under the eeat framework and i think some of this has i think google is playing catch up in a, in a lot of areas i think they were caught on the hop with um open ai and their search generative experience they've kind of yeah chuck stuff out rolled it back they've got rid of faq schema you know the biggest boosts we've seen over the last six months have been with reddit and quora i mean reddit's one of the biggest sites already on the web and its traffic's doubled in the last like three months it's, it's incredible amount of growth and there's been really mixed responses to that now danny sullivan recently put it i think really well i touched on it earlier which he said that um google if you're chasing the algorithm you know, like how is what we're doing impacting the algorithm? He said, you're always going to be behind because we're chasing the user because Google hasn't, you know, they're not perfect. They they approximate so many things. So this is why strategically I try and always aim ahead of kind of not caring so much how it works, at least when I'm talking to clients um, and thinking more about what they're aiming for. But we can, you know, we can go into specifics. Like, so for instance, we know um, Google, assigns like a site quality score for domains domain wide there's a patent on this um, and it's the same stuff that came out in the doj filings which is they talk specifically about measuring user interaction on the serp okay so they in the doj filings they said three major things um to ranking is obviously content um anchors which is pretty much their link graph and user engagement and user engagement from my understanding and reading those documents is actually almost entirely talking about user engagement on the SERP, not user engagement necessarily on the, the end website. And this patent about site quality talks about using user engagement on the SERP to assign a, a quality score. So if, for instance, you know, you're third and people are doing this query and they're regularly skipping over other people to go to your site, and they're not kind of pogoing around, that's a good indication and you get um, a site quality score. Where I think it gets interesting is, there is another patent they have for predicting site quality for sites where they don't have this user engagement, okay? And I was like, wow, that's fascinating. I wonder how they do that. The patent essentially says they use, they build what are called phrase models using n-grams, which is essentially they just look at the, the text across millions and millions of sites for known site quality and then for sites where they don't have that user engagement data they predict what site quality they're going to assign to it based on how well their text meets this model that they've built of what they know is good i think this is what's happened i don't know if you've uh, seen this matter or lots of kind of um spammy affiliate sites take a nosedive with the helpful content update lots of these sites actually approach content in a very similar question answer question answer question answer way and i think what's happened as part of this heu is they've updated this phrase model to help them target these sites so going all the way back to your question how does 
does people or size data help us in in context to these algorithms my opinion is if you have a site that's ranking well i.e it has a known good site quality score it's going to cover a lot of these a lot of this intent if you also cover a lot of this intent google can see through you know word vectors through these uh, phrase models they're building that your site looks like it's a similar shape you know all of these sites that i know are good are you know triangle shaped whatever you want to call them and yeah. you know you're a brand new site but you kind of look like a triangle so you're probably good so i think it's a really good way to um you know you can technically arrive at this is what we should do based on what little we know and assumptions are making about google's algorithms technically versus just what they're telling us to aim for and certainly it's not it's not perfect um but again it just comes back to google's key mission what they're trying to achieve and at the end of the day they just want lots of people to use their search engine and love it for organic results so they yep. can sell us ads <laughs> yes exactly exactly <laughs> so uh could you actually tell the audience a little bit about how you would suggest they use the tool so uh, to in their writing process? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I saw um, we we were going to mention as well like other similar tools to also ask. So also asked the people also ask data I tend to use at not always, but I tend to use it at, at a, like an article level or a single piece of content level because. There are other tools that use other types of, of keyword data that are better giving you like a, a bird's eye map of topics, like what should what things should we write about? When you have decided specifically we're going to write about how to prepare our car for winter or, um, you know, which is the best laptop for Linux or something like that, that's the level at which I would bring also asked in because the it's the only place you will get that granular level of keyword data those those questions most other keyword tools will come up with with nothing and the other thing that confuses people when we get to this level is search volumes so 99% of people also ask questions if you put them into any tool will come up with a zero monthly search volume. Now, that essentially means there isn't data on it. It doesn't mean that nobody searches for it. And there's a few other things to consider there, which is that by their nature, questions, like we said, tend to be four, five, six, seven, eight words long. There is, linguistically, because how language works, then two dozen maybe permeations of how you could ask that same question with slightly more or less words and words in different orders. And obviously most keyword tools are just trying to find how many, what the volume is for that one specific um, order of words. So I tend to talk about intent volume rather mm -hmm. than specific search volume. So if in truth we said, okay, there's actually only 10 searches a month in the whole of the UK or you know, 50 a month in the whole of the US for this this one phrase. If there's 20, 30, 40, 50 searches a month for every permutation of that, and there's 10, 20 permutations, you're very quickly into a 500 or 1,000 searches a month. And Google's algorithms, especially now, um, I think BERT was the biggest step forward for them, they can understand that 
though they're written differently, the questions mean the same thing. So you can rank for multiple sets of keywords. And I've seen great examples, even in like iGaming, like really competitive fields where they're ranking for terms and it's like not in their title tag and it's not even uh, as a phrase in their content. But Google has worked out, okay, yeah, this is this is the correct yeah. um, kind of content here. So how I use it at this level is to decide once we know what we're going to write about give us a blueprint for what we need to include in that article normally it's like 80 percent there um and there's a couple of ways you can do that like you said we've got the png export really nice easy way if you're working with internal teams just to fire those out use them as inspiration um we've got a deep search which will return on average around 100 150 questions so if you want a much deeper like this is going to be a pillar piece we're really going to dig into it to show you how far it branches out um we've got a bulk search as well so if you're working with other tools maybe in a bigger team um like zemrush hrefs systrix one of the bigger tools you can just export them you can upload a thousand keywords at once and it will give you a zip file about 10 minutes later, which will then give you around about 25,000 questions, all uh, organized in CSVs by the topics you're given. So you can just distribute it out to a team. And at the very top end, we've got an API. So if you've got an existing tool set or if you've got internal tooling, you can just query our API and get the questions back in JSON. So I've seen a few people like with keywords and sheets like start to integrate this. Um, which is which is a really nice way um, to work because there isn't that's the other thing about PAA data that people also ask data there is no API for it so we've got the only async and synchronous API that you can get for this data um, the last kind of tip I'd give on actually using data is just because it's presented as questions doesn't mean the optimal way to use this data is just to stick a massive like FAQ section on the end of every um, bit of content. It's these are the questions, but you can just integrate those answers into your natural writing. You know, you don't have to state the question. Here's the answer. State the question. Can it make sense? But again, go back to what's the best way as a whole to give that information to the user. And it's probably not just giving them a list of questions and answers. That's awesome. So I have one question before uh, we talk about demos or, or things like that, uh, that I realized uh, people might be thinking about. So um, could you talk about uh, how does branded and non-branded fall into the people also ask? Uh, is that a thing or is it just all non-branded or, you know, I know that yeah. might be a concern for some people. Yeah, so I'd say the, the majority, just because of the sheer scale of questions by default are non-branded questions however if you have a brand with any kind of search volume if you put it into google you'll see normally it does trigger paa questions and i think it's interesting from a whole bunch of levels i won't speak about it again but a brand protection point of view or brand knowledge point of view what do people think about us what are they asking um down to who's actually in control of that so yeah. if people are asking questions about your brand kind of nice to be able to be the one to answer that question um so i think um like with the csv exports what that will do is it won't just export the questions and answers it tells you the it gives you the snippet of what is actually said in the paa and it gives you the page title and url of the site ranking so again 
with people working kind of in in brand teams i've seen people doing these like brand reports just to see you know who's got control of this voice about our brand and is it positive or negative with the csv exports with the api as well it's very easy to do things like sentiment analysis um with uh like chat gpt so again it's very easy to pipe that data in chat gpt and just say essentially give us a sentiment analysis score for this because um, it's a, it's one of the perfect jobs for a large language model it's what it's really good at um so if you've got again multiple brands or even like products that are well known um you can get a, a, an automated way at scale to sort of have a you know we'll run this once a quarter and measure does it change who's talking about us does the sentiment change um, so there's a whole interesting bit there for people working with with brands all right, so I'm going to add one thing to it because you brought up ChatGPT. So um, I play around with ChatGPT4, and I've played around yep. with that with the people also ask questions from your tool. And what I've been able to do is use one first is an avatar for who I'm targeting and kind of like this is the topic or, or the title of the post that I'm I'm using. Here are the I've used it two ways. So I've, I've uploaded a CSV because I'm using um, ChatGPT4 with Code Inspector. So you can mm -hmm. upload um, a CSV and you can upload an image. So I've been able to actually upload the CSV and say, uh, okay, give me, uh, we're going to write a, um, a content brief. So give me the top 10 um, topics or subtopics based upon these questions. And then it will write it. And then what I'll do is I'll bring in the PNG and uh, it doesn't understand the P PNG in normal fashion. You have to say, please look at this as an RBC file. And now go hierarchically rearrange the topics and uh, or re-examine them that you've actually provided and rewrite them. And then from there, what I might do is, is if I have a product thing that I have to include into it, I'll do that. And then I'll ask for a summary and then it will spit it out and I have a content brief that I can pass to a writer. So just wanted to tell you how I've been using it with ChatGPT4 since you brought ChatGPT4. That's up. a very similar approach to what I've been doing with, with content briefs. And I think the key thing you've touched on is with large language models, the important thing is to bring external data to them. Yeah. Um, because I've seen people try and write briefs just kind of contained within chat GPT. And obviously because it, you're getting a probability model distribution output with a little bit of randomness baked in, you're kind of by default getting the most middle of the road answer for all these questions. And as humans, they therefore sound great. <laughs> but in terms of then putting that out onto the web, it again by default just kind of looks like everything else google's seen because yep. google has access to its data so yeah bringing in and this is why i liked as well like the freshness of the data um bringing in extra keyword data training uh models as well based on knowledge that the model wouldn't have access to um are all really good ways to, yeah, to use ai to build content briefs to then have people edit curate improve yeah so so how can people um uh, get in touch with you one uh, uh, and two how can they uh, you know sign up for also ask because uh, this is an amazing tool guys it, it's been it's been instrumental in cutting time down in keyword research and also just the the format I just talked to you about about creating content briefs 
my content brief used to take me, you know, two plus hours to mm. set up. And there was always a lot of debate as to which keywords that I would include within it. You know, I had the overarching one, but like, what am I including in there? Um, so this has been really, really helpful. And I've been able to, you know, put out 10 content briefs in like three hours versus, you know, two in like four. Yeah. That's really great to hear. Um, I yeah. always enjoy hearing about how people are using the tool, like whether it's you doing content briefs or like I said, when I've had kind of TikTokers and Instagrammers saying they do it. When I went to the conference, I had a few people come up to me and they're really excited about it. And that's really cool because there is a, obviously there's the tool between me and the customer. So I don't always get to speak to people about it. So it's, it's right. really nice hearing people are using it correctly as well. <laughs> Just the other, which other cool thing. Um, so if people want to contact me, um, I believe I'm the only Mark Williams cook on the internet. So that's a double-edged sword. If you Google me now, uh, my married name, you'll just find me wherever I am. Um, I'm most active on LinkedIn. Um, so happy if you send me a connection request, just send a message saying maybe you heard me on this podcast so I know um, roughly who you are because I get a lot of requests and I tend to ignore a lot of them because <laughs> we get, you know, work in SEO, so I'm, I get lots of spam. But I'm always happy to talk to people about kind of SEO stuff um, and just, just have chats with people. Um, I'm sort of still on twitter slash x um slowly using it less and less so linkedin's probably kind of the, the best bet um also asked uh, it's a freemium model which means basically if you just go to also ask.com uh you can just immediately start start typing in search terms at the moment um we've metered people to three searches a day for free so it's like 90 odd a month um, you don't even need to sign up for that. So you can literally just go and search. And if you're a light user, um, you can export the PNG things and just use it. You know, if you're like a freelancer, you don't have to pay anything. Um, there are um, three paid levels ranging from around about $15 a month to around about $50 a month. Um, and they give you uh, wider sets of features and more searches per month. So like at the more expensive end you've got api access um you've got that bulk search where you can just get twenty five thousand questions at once in a zip um the medium tier gives you the csv like data exports and the kind of light tier the the basic tier is essentially just you get more searches per month so if you just want the basic functionality but you need more than three searches a day that's for you and the only other thing i mentioned is it's a monthly tool but you can cancel anytime you like so if you just want one month that's fine. Um, or you can keep it going. We're going to be doing um, some annual subscriptions soon as well. So people that do, because quite a lot of people do just keep it, especially agency people. So um, there'll be an annual uh, subscription launching in the next couple of weeks. So if you want to save some money, you can just sign up like that. And there's more features coming for next year, which I'm quite excited about. But I don't want to talk about because I made this mistake once before. And then uh, other people suddenly had the same idea. Uh, but I've got some what I think are really exciting ideas about what we can do around content briefs um, to speed things up even further. So I'm excited to do that. So what month should we contact you back again so we can help you announce that, Mark? Oh, well, this I, <laughs> I would love to say, but um, what I found, because this is really my first proper SaaS tool that we've been running now for the last four years, is that everything takes longer than i thought yes, it, was it, going always to take. it always does um, we'll, we'll stay in touch we'll stay in yeah touch. so I'm, I'm hoping um i mean we've got some features that will be out q1 next year which are like small additions my 
overall goal is just next year that we'll launch it's quite a big new feature it needs crawlers and all sorts to make it work but um i think it's a because we're an agency we've got an agency as well we've very much got our finger on the pulse of what tooling people need um because that's something interesting i've seen with some SaaS tools when they break away and they're kind of out of the industry they're building what they think people need but yeah. i'm quite confident this will be helpful if, if no one else super helpful for our team but normally that will transfer to other people as well but yeah, it'd be great if we can catch up again uh yeah. next year Listen, it's been wonderful having you on the show. I will be talking to you shortly and uh, you guys have a wonderful day. You too. Thanks, Matt. Awesome. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the EMJ SEO podcast. To get the most value from this episode, make sure to check out the show note resources in the episodes on emjpodcast.com. And if you got value from this episode and you'd like more SEO tips from us, then feel free to subscribe to the podcast on the podcast platform of your choice so you never miss an episode. This is the EMJ SEO Podcast with Matt Hepburn, and we'll see you next time.